Today we have a very special guest joining us, Chad Peters. Chad is a professional geologist with over 10 years of exploration and production experience in the U.S. and Canada. Prior to co-founding Ridgeline Minerals in 2018, Chad was managing member of the Premier Gold Mines Limited exploration team responsible for the discovery of over 10 million ounces of gold. Chad and I get into a variety of topics tonight, including starting a company during the pandemic, the importance of being transparent with shareholders, and more. Thanks again for joining us on The Rocks. Let's dive in. So, Chad, thanks for joining me tonight for On the Rocks. How are you doing today? Oh, thanks, Emily. I'm doing pretty good. It's a good excuse to have a bourbon and actually still do some work stuff. So. Right? <laughs> now, what are you drinking tonight? I have. I kept it pretty boring. I got a, an old-fashioned with a couple cherries and a and I'm using a Colonel E.H. Taylor small batch. Sure. So that was a good And why? Go ahead. You picked that one. Uh, you know, my wife did a very 2020 birthday present, uh, turned 34 in November and, uh, she got me a huge cocktail kit. So some awesome bourbon, some awesome small batch spiced rum too. And then, uh, all the fixings for making, uh, you know, all the fancy cocktails and stuff. So been putting it to good use. So at least you, you mix it with stuff. I just drink it literally on the rocks. It's just been one of those. Yeah, it has been one of those years. It depends. Depends on the day. If it's been a really tough one, it's usually just on the rocks. But yeah, good old. Yeah. It doesn't hurt too. That's right. So tonight I'm drinking Noah's Mill, which uh, my COO, John, actually gifted me for Christmas. But I picked it uh, for two reasons. One, it's the highest proof on my bar. <laughs> so I thought, wrap up 2020. Uh, and number two, um, the, the Willet Distillery, I found it was interesting. They became well known because they actually helped save the bourbon industry in Kentucky. When the industry took a nosedive, they started doing things a little different. They didn't distill it themselves. They bought a lot of other bourbons from the, the area they're in in Kentucky and, uh, and barreled them and sold them. So it actually helped the rest of the industry make it out alive from an industry downturn. I thought that was appropriate because you guys at Ridgeline are doing such cool stuff and doing things quite differently than, than a lot of the rest of the industry. Wish we were making bourbon, but we're, uh, we're finding it <laughs> gold too. So. Yeah. So, so 2020 has been a, an interesting year. So tell us a little bit about what you guys have been up to this year and how you're doing things differently given all the craziness. Yeah, no, it's been a it's been a pretty up and down year for sure. I mean, we started, geez, I think this time last year I had two hundred thousand US in the bank, and so we were, mm -hmm. you know, felt like we were on the rocks, pun intended. And uh, <laughs> but um, no, we uh, you know we raised some money in the spring, had all these big grand plans to IPO in April, and you know had all we did our tech reports, everything, and then COVID hit, and literally our our bankers, our underwriters, just called and said, "Hey, uh, IPO's off," and I was like, um what mm. <laughs> kind of like it's off, off. and they're like yeah everything's you know and this is literally like a two-minute phone call like to them it was like they had I think 10 other deals that they were working their way through but they mm. was called and so we uh yeah it was a crazy year you know the IPO got called off not that we'd been marketing it heavily but we were right at the I think we were going to launch it in like a week and, and we ended up delaying it which uh worked out okay because we ended up doing some good exploration work at our Selena project showed some potential there and so we IPO'd uh 
in August instead and raised 5 million bucks right into a good, uh, a much better gold market as well. So we kind of got lucky with timing and stuff, but it's been a weird year. Like we, uh, yeah. like, I mean, I bought a, I bought a travel trailer for my crew just so they wouldn't have to stay in hotels. Right. So instead of the normal thing in Nevada, right. Usually you're an hour's drive from the nearest hotel, maybe an hour and a half to the project. And we just literally pulled our travel trailers out to the project. It was actually kind of fun. You know, you'd, we'd go, map yeah, do whatever yeah. the world, you know have a couple beers and a burger at night and it was a good time but um yeah it was a really uh kind of a st- weird start to the company as a, as a public company too so yeah and to have everything everything happen so fast i'm sure that was i mean you you couldn't miss a whole like summer season right so you had to figure something out what are we going to do this year well that was it we knew that we were you know okay the ipo got delayed if we don't do anything if we just sit on our hands and wait for this covid to pass you, you know, you just, it's death by a thousand cuts, right? You end up with dwindling away, yeah. dwindling away your treasury anyways. And so we decided we weren't going to, you know, we were going to be aggressive with our expiration heading into the IPO and stuff. And so that's how kind of some of the things we did, we got the, the drilling contract, which, you know, that's been right mm-hmm. the founding of the company, you know, our strategic contract. So that was a huge thing for, uh, you know, our equity or founding partner of the company um, owns a drilling company. So we were able to drill incredibly cheap. Um, which, had kept, mm-hmm. you know, kept our cost downs during, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to IPO or not, um, you know, and then we did little things like uh, tried to get creative. We approached the lab and said, well, what if we, well, what if we prepay you $75,000 upfront mm-hmm. uh, in return? We want to get priority lab service until that 75 grand disappears. And just little things like yeah. that, because we kind of saw that bottleneck coming with everybody raised a bunch of money in July and August. And we thought, oh man, it's going to be brutal to get assays in the fall. So those are some of the things that we did to try to, you know, just try to, I guess, make make better odds, I guess, going into what is already pretty risky business, right? So. And that's, I mean, for those of the folks listening who maybe aren't familiar with the mining industry or have, or new to it, like it's, it's pretty unique that you have a, a drilling company as a, as a part, as a founder, as a partner in your company. Right. I mean, that's not the norm. No, it's definitely not norm. I mean, I've, I've seen maybe, you know, probably two or three elsewhere, you know, that I know of worldwide, you know, kind of thing that have done that. And it's, it's tricky, right? Because I think the only way it works for us, I'd worked with Steve and been, you know, he'd worked for me drilling off our discovery that I, that our team made when I was a premier in Nevada. Right. So I'd known him for seven or eight years, trusted the guy. Um, and I think that's part, part of the reason that only way it works because, um, you know, drilling is such a, you know, you can have a hole go bad and, you know, it can end up costing $200,000 and you don't even get down a target. Right. So, you know, if you don't have, if you were trying to do that contract with just someone that you didn't have a close relationship with, they're going to fleece you regardless. Right. You know, kind of thing, you know, whereas Steve, we've known each other for so long, we were able to go back and maybe that 200 grand turns into, you know, okay, what was your cost? Well, it cost me 70. Okay. Then I'll cut you a check for 70. And that's the way we've been, we've been doing it. So yeah, it's, it's pretty unique. And I think it's what allowed us to raise the money in the early days. Hmm. So why do you think more companies don't do that or have their own internal drilling capability? You know, I think um, not a lot of, you know, like, I guess maybe one of the things that's a little bit different with kind of how we got started is like, you know, I founded the company with Steve out of my garage, right? So we were able to define the share structure and how we were going to run the company right from the very start. And, And in reality, very few companies actually start clean like that and and work their way through private financings and they're and and still able to maintain that structure right so we were very lucky you know we we tied in with Dave Elliott 
Andy Williams, Paul Stevens, a lot of really great guys um, that I was lucky enough to get introduced to. And that allowed us to maintain that share structure. I think a lot of times, you know, when you pick up a, I wouldn't say broken, but you say you pick up a project with a hundred million shares or a company and you're a new CEO, you don't have that ability to go give out, you know, 5 million more shares to a, a drilling company, right? You're already diluted. You already have a broken structure. If anything, you're going to do a rollback, right? So um, I think the only way that structure works is if you have it right from the outset, this is how we're going to run the company. So maybe that worked. Maybe that's why it worked out that way. Yeah. Other, other way, the other way you have a lot of baggage. All mine companies yeah. have baggage, right? So, um, right. <laughs> you know, and you know, every, you know, but uh I think that was, uh, you know, to be honest, I did it as much out of, I wouldn't say desperation, but like, you know, I pretty much, I quit my job full-time with Premier. I had a great job, you know, great company and all that. And I needed something to have a stand apart, you know, from the rest, you know, there's a million geos out there with a great idea. And most of those savvy investors, they've been there, got the t-shirt and they don't care, you know? So Mm -hmm. that was, that was purely a, you know, a way of trying to kind of just set ourselves apart a little bit, something, you know, something that I could stand on a soapbox and kind of, you know, say, Hey, we're different. We may not, you know, we may not find any gold just like the rest of them, but we're going to do it cheaper than everybody else. We'll do it cheaper. We're going to fail fast. That was, I guess the mentality, right? With, you know, yeah. not going to guarantee yeah. every, but we will get there quick. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a really good point. And it's a strategic decision that you guys made, right. On how to set yourself apart. And um, no, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds very startup mentality in a lot of ways. Yeah, so. no, I mean, like literally, like it, it was kind of, we we could have gotten an office and we ended up just working out of my garage for 15 months and I didn't take a salary for that whole time, right? So I remember my wife, you know, she's been incredible and she, uh, I remember her saying, you know, like, oh, when, so what do you think? We're going to be funded in three, six months? And I was like, oh, if we're not funded in six months, I'm doing something really wrong. And then like 15 months later, I think we closed our <laughs> and she was, yeah, you know, yeah, she has her own company. So she supported the whole family, you know, kind of thing for 15 yeah. months. And, and, you know, I got offered some really, truly awful deals from bigger groups coming in and saying, well, you know what, we'll take 80% ownership of the company, but we'll give you health care and we'll give you a salary. And, you know, and she said, mm-hmm. you know, no, you got to walk from these deals and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, it worked out well. Yeah. But it, it's hard to do sometimes, right. When you're, we, we have a saying with some of our partners that until you've you've curled up in the fetal position on the floor at night trying to figure out how you're going to make payroll, like it's a it's a very different life experience. Oh, <laughs> I remember my the the turning like the point where I pretty much packed it in was actually uh, Roundup 2019. So I came, I went to Roundup, mm. you know, was all geared up and like, all right, I'm going to get this thing financed. And I got these, you know, I had our land deal solidified with EMX, so I had great projects in hand. And the only thing to get the land deal totally done and ready to go was I had to show I could raise 500,000, right? And I thought, okay, I can get this done. And I went to Roundup, not one person invested. And I, I, you know, and everyone said, I love the story, love the drilling contract, it's too risky. And this was still, you know, when exploration was still pretty rough at that time, right? Like early 2019, no one gave a shit about about exploration, you know, deep exploration in Nevada. And um, so, and yeah, I came home and told Carla, like, all right, I'm going to go look for a chief geologist position at a mine or something, you know, like kind of thing and, and thought that was it. And then um, Dave Cole introduced me to Dave Elliott um, from Haywood, I think. So Dave Cole's the CEO of VMX and he called up and said, well, you're just packing it in. And I was like, no, I've been unemployed for 14, 14 months. I'm not going to in, but I can't get the finance. And he just said, he goes, he goes look, I, we really believe in it. We want to see it go forward. Like I'm going to make some calls. And so Dave, Dave made some calls and, and uh, you know, 
I think Dave, I had a call with Dave Elliott about four days later and on the phone, Dave committed 500 K to the seed round as the leader. Mm -hmm. And I think we raised a million and a half, all those no's from two weeks prior turned into yeses when they found out that, that Dave Elliott and Dave Cole were writing checks. They said, Oh, well, if, if you know, if Dave Elliott's in, I'll, I'll put in 30, 40 grand, you know, and we raised a million and a half in yeah. five days. So yeah, it's pretty it's, it's amazing when, I mean, that seed money makes such a huge difference. Right. I mean, uh, a, a dear, dear friend of mine, Beth Meyer, she was my first check for prospector. And uh, and then and that was before COVID. And she right. was the only person who didn't walk away and make that call <laughs> that you kind of got when COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and then she back with me. And a few months later, we were acquired by by analog. And same thing. The analog team had seen me build it from day one, you know, knew the story, hugely supportive. I mean, it's uh, that's where those relationships become so incredibly important, right? Whether you're entrepreneurial or in the regular part of the the mining space. No, absolutely. That's I, and I've you know like being a geo, you know, initially like coming into it, I was like, okay, you know, people are going to see the projects and they're gonna they're gonna be interested, right? I very quickly realized, you know, yes, the projects are an important part of it, but they're really investing, especially at the stage we were at. They're just investing in 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 you, right? They're investing in an idea, you know, and so. Um, you know, it took a lot of, I think, just grinding it out and kind of a lot of long conversations. The funny thing is, is some of my best investors, the biggest investors rarely started the conversation with, you know, okay, tell me about the structure. Tell me whatever. They didn't care. They wanted to know what's your family. Like? Yeah. Yeah. You know, do you, you know, no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, you know, the, half, you know, the first half hour was like, do you like dogs? Have you ever kicked a dog? Yeah. You know, kind of, you know. But like maybe not quite that deep. Invest in dog yeah, yeah. But yeah. They, they just literally just want to know: Are you, you know, are you a decent person who's gonna, you know, yeah. you know, be reason, you know, spend their money reasonably, right? And that's kind of how we got started, and that's why we've really stuck with the structure of the company the way we have. Is we're trying to, you know, we've been offered financings, we've been offered, you know, various, you know, as a private company, you know, kind of thing, and and you know, financing opportunities have come up, um, you know, and and we walked away because they weren't the right move for the shareholders, right? And so I own over eight, just over 8% of the company, you know, kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I've put 150 grand of my own money into the company. So um, between going without a salary and, and the cash we've put in, you know, this is the biggest investment I've, I've ever done in my life. Right. So at 30, yeah. you know, 34 years old. So, um, you know, so I'm pretty motivated and, and um, I think a lot of the investors really like that. Right. They know that, you know, okay, this, you know, if this doesn't work out for most of these guys, it's just another X on their spreadsheet. No big deal. doesn't work out for me. I'm back to the, you know, logging core somewhere in, in a shack in Nevada. Right. So I'm pretty yeah. motivated to try to get it to work. No, I think, you know, that's a really interesting point because when I sit through pitches, when I sit through mining company pitches, it's, you know, a lot of the companies are, they stand out because they talk about the percentage that's owned by management. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's actually a differentiator for the mining industry that if investors are new to the industry, they should look for, right? They should look to see, is management invested and at what level are they invested in the company? Because it, I think it is rather unique. Yeah, there's nothing more scary than a CEO that has 5 million options and not once and hasn't bought one share on the market, right? That's a, that's, that's a clear sign that the guy's not very aligned, right? So, yeah. No skin in the game. Yeah, we've yeah. tried to we've tried to do that. Our whole man, you know, even my uh, it's great. Like my my VP expiration, I, I convinced him to come over from um, Gold Standard Ventures. I don't know if you remember, they had a pretty big discovery um, at their Dark Star deposit, mm -hmm. and uh, you know he came over and, and I was, pardon, 
It's a great name, by the way. Well, actually, think, Star. yeah, and Mike's, Mike named our uh, Swift, he named our Swift uh, target that we just finished drilling, the Fallen City, so the guy's got a knack for for putting names on stuff, so. Um, yeah, it's important. Yeah, if, uh, <laughs> when he came over and joined the company, it was just, like, literally, I just closed the financing, and I said, okay, like, really want you to join. I need you to take a $40,000 pay cut. And it would be really great if you could invest in the seed round as well, because we want to send the right message to the shareholders. And he kind of looked at me sideways and was like, and I was like, and he said, let me get back to you. And within like 30 minutes, he called back. He goes, yeah, we're in. And uh, so it's been awesome. So he's he was there since right at the start. And we've been kind of building the team around that since. So, Well, I think, and, and especially because uh, why, or the reason why I think that's so important for a non-traditional mining investor, someone who's new to the space is, because oftentimes people are overwhelmed or, or maybe don't understand all of the technical details around why the project is supposedly the best, the best mine ever, right? Yep. The best deposit you'll ever see. And so if you can see that the technical team, that the management team is invested and to what level they are and, and to, to varying levels, right? Depending on, on how much they can afford to be invested, but it's a real sign of commitment and belief in the technical virtues of the project. Um, that if you're not 100% confident in your understanding of the technical part of the project, you know, it's a it's a good indicator. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, actually Jamie Keach had a pretty uh, awesome, I think it was that that YouTube presentation he did that said uh, how you got screwed in 2018 or something like that. I, I probably don't remember the title, but it was a really good, like, uh, you know, I'd always understood, you know, skin in the game and all that. But when you look at how, you know, you, you look at a group and you go, okay, so the founders got issued... 20 million shares at 0.005 cents, you know, kind of thing, you know, and then they go in the IPO and they ask shareholders to come in at 50 cents on an IPO and hold that bag. They've already made 500 times their money, you know, kind of thing, yeah. their investment. And so we, um, you know, rate, like we say, you know, you said doing things a bit differently, like right at the start, even we didn't issue founder shares. When Steve and I founded the company, we each got, I think, 100 shares right in the company just purely from a hey you can't incorporate without at least 100 share or you know the right. minimum number so we split those then when we went we didn't issue any shares until we actually went to the um seed round and i pretty much got on a call with dave elliott and dave cole and said okay what are we worth and dave cole's response was nothing you know kind of thing <laughs> you haven't found anything. <laughs> said, okay thanks dave the company you know, builder. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, they didn't bullshit around, right? Like you just said, he said, you're worth nothing. You're, yeah. worth, nothing. you're worth what we're willing to pay, you know, kind of thing. And right. that was a bit of an eye opener, right? Because I'd overvalued the company for way too long. Like I, I was valuing the company at a couple million dollars because, hey, we got this great drill contract and these great projects. It doesn't matter, right? Like if, you, yeah. And so, we, if you have yeah. Yeah. So we ended up settling on 750,000 Canadian pre money. And then our founder mm. shares were calculated based on that. So at 750 and the 12 cent um, seed round financing, Steve and I got three, uh, 6.25 million shares. They exactly broke mm. uh, 12 cents. Now for tax reasons, I think our if you looked into the, the taxes, those shares are worth like 0.1, strictly because in the US, if we got given 12 cent shares, that's an, an unrealized gain. And I would have paid taxes on something that isn't worth anything that you haven't yeah. gotten yeah. any money before but you know yeah we could have we could have yeah. issued 10 million shares or 15 million shares and instead we yeah. broke it at, at our actual valuation we took that at the seed round with the surrounding shareholders which i think both you know went over well yeah. with those guys and um yeah and you know i, I think uh it's we've kind of tried to maintain that ever since so so tell me i mean you came out of 
like you said, log and core. I mean, you, you came up as a geologist. How did you learn the finance side of the business and how you wanted to structure deals and how to, how to negotiate? How did you get into that side? Well, um, it's funny. One of my board members, um, just laughingly says that I could sell ice to an Eskimo. So like, I think I got, I think I got the ability to kind of bullshit with my, from my mom and yeah. you know, just kind of be able to that stuff. So, I mean, that's actually from, you know, from a, from a raising money standpoint, you know, it's, it's, I, I, yeah. I actually enjoy walking into a room, into a boardroom and being like, all right, here's why you should be buying our stuff. But um, yeah. you know, what I was, I, I surrounded myself by a, lo a lot of guys that have done this already, you know, so my CFO, Dwayne Lowe, been a part of multiple public companies started with first quantum um, you know, my advisors board, those kind of folks, I specifically brought in, you know, um, people that had done it multiple times already. And I just rely really heavily on them. So, mm -hmm. you know, I try to just mostly go on gut feel. I still am super green at all this. So, you know, it's, mm -hmm. you know, we just, I try to focus on just doing what I think is best from a shareholder perspective. And then my board usually comes in and those guys, that close group will come in and just say, look, we get where you're trying to go with this or, you know, but you actually need to do it this way or, you know, but we're able to kind of find a middle ground usually of, you know, I want to make sure that, because I think the scariest, the worst statement that I hear is this is how it's always been done, especially in like the Vancouver mining, oh, yeah. right? Like that's the most yeah. dangerous statement in Vancouver is this is how it's always done. So, you know, we got, I think we got offered a deal, you know, where someone wanted to give us a $6 million financing, but we had to, we are, had, would have had to restructure our entire um, second round, which was already half filled. Right. This guy mm. comes in and says, Hey, I'm going to give you a bunch of money, but I want you to, I want you to reprice it. And I want a full warrant that's listed and, and, you know, a whole bunch of demands and kind of thing. And, you know, that would have brought a lot of money into the treasury, but it would have destroyed our cap structure. Right. So we knew it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So my board came in, you know, and I said, I don't think this is a good idea. And they were like, no, this is, this will ruin, you know, this will take guys like Dave Elliott and the group that have been behind you. Mm. They'll be out the door as soon as this thing's public, if you do this kind of deal. So been able to rely on those guys, um, make sure that we're always uh, trying to do the right thing anyways. Yeah, I, I think that's why the the board is so important, right? That's another thing for folks to look at. When, when people ask me, you know, how do I know a good mining company from a bad? I mean, other than the geology and the plan to actually develop it, it's the people and the board can be so important. Even if you have a, you know, an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial person who maybe is new in their role as a CEO, if you've got a really strong board, they can, they can really add value. No, absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've, the other thing I try to do is like, you know, I worked for you and Downey for a decade, you know, in the early days, I would call him probably more than he appreciated, you know, and just, you know, yeah. down to, so I had a lot of, a lot of people that were mentors to me or whatever over the years. And then, you know, between our board and all these folks, I just kind of, in the early days, it was kind of decision by committee. It was like, you know, and it, it worked out well. So. So have you found it difficult in the industry to do things differently? Have you found resistance? Yeah. And pushback? Yeah. Yeah. It actually has been. Yeah. yeah it's been pretty tricky. Um, I think you factor in if I was a, you know, 50 year old uh, gray hair that had done it five times already and, you know, made everybody a bunch of money. If I came out and said, hey, I want to do things, you know, a little bit differently than normal, you wouldn't have gotten any pushback. Right. Um, right. Um, the way we were trying to do things did you know, it didn't catch, we weren't able to get a lot of traction in the early days. And it took a guy like Dave Elliott, I think betting on mm -hmm. us more than, you know, betting on, on, you know, our team more so than maybe the company in general, you know, I think that was kind of the breaking point for us that got us over the hump. And then we were able to, you yeah. know, at that point, then I think, you know, every time we've gotten offered, 
you know, maybe a deal that doesn't make sense for us or, you know, cause I think we got offered like seven RTOs prior to the IPO, you know, and every single time it came down to structure, right? Like there was always that yeah. skeleton in the closet of, well, we actually got a guy that owns 10 million shares at 0.1 cents and he, and he happens yeah. to hate the chairman. So there is he's certainly going to blow the stock out. And it's like, well, then why did yeah. we do this to <laughs> Like we're not, so, um, we can do yeah. 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 You know, it's starting to come around now, though. I think we're starting to get some people that are, are realizing that, um, you know, that we're following through on what we said and starting mm -hmm. to get, you know, now I think if we go back for a financing, you know, in, in six or eight or 12 months or whatever, I think people are going to be a little, you know, they'll have seen that we've been able to get through a really tough year, still maintain it. Yeah. You know, we're over our back over our IPO price, which I didn't think we'd get to by the end of the year, to be honest. So that's been a positive. So yeah, congrats on that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll see how yeah. long it lasts in this. I mean, man, what a crazy, like we're talking about how crazy 2020 has been. Like you, every week is a different week, right? Like you look at the market and right. the bankers are going, gold's going to $2,300. And you're like, oh, awesome. <laughs> this is going to be great. And then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then literally like 19 minutes later, the stock, you know, gold drops to $80. And that same banker is going, ah, it's going to 1600 bucks. You better sell all these shares. And it's like, oh my God. You know, kind of, thing. and you know, that's by the day, by the week, like it's been like that since, I mean, geez, you know, the whole year almost, right? So, um, hope for yeah. a little more stability next year. I, yeah, absolutely. But I also think it's 2020, by virtue of how insane it's been, has actually opened up a little bit for things to be done differently, right? Because everyone's had to figure out to do things differently. And so a little bit of that resistance, I think, has changed. Even when we were starting to talk about Prospector, we did our beta launch at PDAC this year, and then the whole world changed. And, you know, people were actually interested because they now had to do due diligence and deal flow from home, right? They couldn't meet up with folks to, to meet in person or go out for cocktails or, you yeah. know, do any of the things that they normally did. So they were looking for a new way to do things, which I think has been a long time coming in the industry in a lot of ways, you know? I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we could be doing differently that the industry has been slow to adopt. We're certainly that, uh, a long ways behind most industries, that's for sure. Like, it just yeah. feels like every, like, you know, even just having, you know, like uh, women on mining boards, like how long has that taken, yeah. a, you know, a thing? And like, we're, we're you know, actively looking, I'd, I'd love to add the right person to the board and all that kind of stuff. Because I just think when you're only dealing with half the population's perspective, and I mean, look at right. look at the decisions that have been made by male dominant mining teams over the last 20 years. And what you're referencing, you know, Chad. <laughs> I saw, um, I think it was uh, John Goodman was, I think his name from Dundee. And I read that Elephant in the Room podcast. I don't know if you listened to it. And it was, it was incredible no. because he said, you know, he said, all of these groups have gotten so focused on scale, scale, scale. And he said, it's destroyed so many good mining projects because guys were focused just like having their jacked up truck. Well, we're going to have the yeah. biggest mine in, in Chile. And it's like, who cares? You know, instead of doing like, you know, you know, building it and phasing it out and scaling it out so that you continue yeah. to de-risk the project, you got the, you know, and part of it is shareholder pressure too, right? Is, you know, shareholders yeah. see projects getting huge. Right. So, um, but it's just funny, you know, like it's, I, I think the industry is changing for the better. And, you know, we're trying to lead at least from a, you know, I'd like to think that we're, like you said, we're doing things differently. We're trying to, you know, Moira, for example, is a, a shareholder, shareholder, long time kind of mentor in Nevada and stuff too. And, you know, I love how 
they're focused on the science, right? Like, you know, and obviously it works. Like they've made a lot of significant discoveries in the Great Basin. And I think too many companies have been um, focused mostly on just sh appeasing shareholders, right? You know, you raise 2 million bucks, which is barely enough to keep the lights on. They go and do a right. soil survey and a geophysics survey, say that they've discovered a new mineralized ore body. CEO has his office in Vancouver and travels around the world promoting his bullshit stock for a year and raises yeah. another 2 million bucks at, at the same valuation and rinse and repeat. Yeah. Right. So, um, that whole fail fast mentality that we kind of pushed was, was like, look, I'm not going to try to get married to a project and just keep it in the mm -hmm. portfolio so we can raise money and pay our salaries. Right. We're either going to make a discovery or it's gone, you know, kind of. Well, that's why I'm a huge fan of companies who, who are led by people who want to control their own destiny. So whatever that destiny is, like I know when I actually heard you pitch in the the mining pitch battle, right? I think it was Mines and Money Connect. One you, were, of the you, were the first one, you were my winning vote. <laughs> yes, I, I was probably the tiebreaker. But the uh, you know the one of the many virtual mining conferences we've both been on this year. But you know it's a big differentiator when the leadership knows how they want to exit a project. Yes. Right. Some people want to build a mine, and that's great. I love those projects because I personally love to see that happen. I like to get the pictures of the big equipment showing up on site and digging, you know, digging the big hole. Like it's really exciting. But other people have a clear vision of how they're going to exit through, you know, selling a project or partnering with a bigger company. There are lots of valid options for how you add value and then exit. Yep. Right. But you've got to have that. It can't just be like you said, I'm going to go raise another two million bucks and then. Yeah, just we'll keep going. Yeah, no. And we like, you know, I think the big thing for us is like, uh, you know, I've done the, I've been an underground production geo. I've done PEAs. I've led mm -hmm. the PEA for Premier's Cove project. Right. And I've done, I've done it. It's great learning experience, you know, kind of thing. I wouldn't, I would, you know, I wouldn't change doing all that stuff, but man, I'm not that great at it. Like, honestly, like, like I'll be the first, you know, it, it's a strength to know, it's a strength to know what your weaknesses are. And I don't have the patience to shave, to shave pennies off of a PEA, right? Like I did it, it was grind, you know, pounding my head against the wall for like a year and a half. And, you know, we took a project at Cove, we made a discovery there and it turned into being valued at 150 million. So it was really yeah. exciting to see that value creation because it went from, it literally went from nothing to in, in about two years to being worth that kind of cash. And so I wanted to be obviously I didn't want to be the geo making the discoveries anymore. Right. Like I like, you know, but I, I wanted to have a stake in the company. Like I saw very quickly. Right. Yeah. I just worked 70 hour weeks for a year and a half straight to make this thing happen, yeah. you know, and my company's taking care of me. But at the end of the day, our CEO bought a winery and I'm still driving the Toyota. Yeah. Why, why is this, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So I wanted to get onto the other side of the business, but um, really wanted to focus on discovery. So like we felt that, you know, for the minimum, for, you know, high risk, but for low expenditures, you can see huge returns. And our discovery at our Swift project or Selena, sorry, that we just announced like that, we've put about 500,000 US into that. And it's, you know, it's looking in, it's a bona fide, you know, open pit silver gold discovery, right? We still have lots of work to do. But if we were able to do that with 500k, what can we get? You know, what can we add in value next year for a million, you know, kind of thing. And so that's where I think yeah. huge return for we look at it like a business. If if we're going to put money into this thing, we better see a potential return out of it for our shareholders because I'm the largest shareholder <laughs> and I would like to yeah. not drive the Toyota Toyota anymore. Although Toyota, is a great car, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But um, yeah, so, we're gonna get like eight men. I know from Toyota. you're gonna get a bourbon sponsorship, and I'm gonna get hate mail from Toyota. So. <laughs>
<laughs> no, but you know, I think what you said is is spot on. I got some phenomenal advice from Terry Martell, who's the chairman of the board for VVC Exploration, a company I'm on the board of, and we've got uh, projects in Mexico. And Terry uh, and I were sitting in the airport getting ready to, to fly out of Mexico together. And um, he said, you know, my one advice for someone your age, because I'm, it will shock you, but I am considerably younger than most of the folks on the board. He said, you know, is to find a way to have a money seat at the table earlier in your life. Mm -hmm. He said, that's what I wish I'd done, right? Because you can have the best idea, you can put together a great team, but the big difference is whether or not you can bring money to the table. And you can't do that if you don't kind of go out on that limb, right? Exactly. And figure out how to how to have skin in the game. No, exactly. And it may not work out, right? Like, but at least you had the skin right. in the game. And then the people that you I think the big thing that I'm realizing, you know, is not every expiration project's gonna work out. Not every company's gonna work mm -hmm. out. Like it's it's just um I mean, it's just pure statistics, right? Like very few of these things actually turn into massive successes. But I think when you align yourself with the right people, you show that you're willing to put this, the, you know, your, your skin in the game and take that risk, whether it works out or not. A lot of times those guys, those same group will call you back up and say, you know what, that didn't work out, but I love working with you. So let's do, you know, let's spin out this. Or let's take the shell of what used to be your company. I'm not saying that's what has happened mm -hmm. to us, but, um, you know, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you know, it's funny. Like I actually talked to one guy and he said, you know, this, he mentioned a company he said, and I said, yeah, they went, you know, that's been a huge success. He said, you know, that was two broken shells before it became what it is. Yeah. He said, it's the same core yeah. shareholders, but they yeah. gave it a try. The first one, it didn't work out. No one got pissed off. They just retooled the company, refinanced it, moved on. And it was the third time everybody made their money on it you know, kind of thing, yeah. you know, so I think, yeah, I think you're right. Like getting in early, I, I didn't want to be, I'd seen buddies of mine that were in their fifties and just getting started into what I am doing now with Ridgeline. And they had all mm -hmm. of the key, you know, they could have done it in their thirties or forties, but they had kids and they had, you know, a lot of commitments yeah. and stuff. And so luckily I, I think really the only reason I was able to do it is my wife is very entrepreneurial herself. So like I went to her and she was like, yeah, she was like, you know what? you're not happy where you are. And it, I loved working for premier, like to be fair, like, mm -hmm. but I was kind of felt in the rut, right. I was now, now we are a development company. That was, I, I, like I said, I was shaving, literally shaving pennies off of tons and supposed to get yeah. excited about it. And I just couldn't do it. So, um, you know, she's like, you're not happy. You know, what should we do? And, and she actually was the one who kind of spurred me to, we kind of did a little chart and she was like the pros and cons of actually like, you know, what, yeah. you know, What's the negatives of staying here and just riding it out and making a great salary versus mm -hmm. coming home every night and just being totally burnt out, right? And I guess I'm a different yeah. kind of burnt out right now, but at least I'm happy and running my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're your own reasons for being burnt yeah. out, right? What I find is similarly, I am only able to do what I do because of the support of my husband. Like Mark is 110% behind me and doubles down whenever I need it and is always pushing me partly because he wants to have a really big boat one day, right? He's like, we're not going to get the boat I want if we don't have one out of the park. But also because he knows it's it's what makes me happy, right? To take chances and, and watch our whole team, like, deliver stuff that we literally kind of come up with out of nowhere, right? That's the cool part is to see something go from nothing to to a real project, a real team. But uh, it's it, it does. You got to I always say being an entrepreneur of any kind is like jumping off a cliff and knitting your parachute on the way down. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great analogy. <laughs> like like I, uh, I was going to I wasn't going to quit my job at Premier. Right. And, you know, because I'm like, OK, mm -hmm. I can do both of these, you know, and then what my what became one of my board members um, 
you know, I told him, I said, he said, you know what? He said, it's disingenuous. You're not doing a service to Premier, you know, and to you and, and the yeah. guys that mentored you and, and, you know, gave you the opportunity to be where you're at right now. You're not really being very genuine to them if you're on the side yeah. sourcing projects in the same state you're working. And I was like, no, you're absolutely right. So I, you know, it came to a point where I just quit Premier completely and, and, and started it. And, you know, that was, like you said, that was jumping off the cliff. Cause like I had, you know, literally sold all my equity I'd built in the company over mm-hmm. 10 years, um, which wasn't as much as I would have liked, but it kept the lights on for a while um, yeah. <laughs> at the very least. But yeah, I know yeah. it's, um, but I think it, it does force you also to, you know, like uh, when you look at, I, th- I think a lot of people realized when they see that you've done that, you haven't, you know, you didn't take the easy route, you know, in our case, you know, quit the job, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And I think they gave them that confidence of like, well, this guy's absolutely screwed if it doesn't work out. So, <laughs> you know, like he is in a tough spot. I will kill him if he doesn't figure this he out. Does. Yeah. <laughs> Worst case scenario, no, if it doesn't take it work out, I'll take his Toyota. So. Exactly. There's always the Toyota. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those things have great, no, great but- resale value. But those have also been the times where, just speaking for myself, but it sounds like for you too, where you come up with the creative ideas. Mm-hmm. When you you really think like, oh my gosh, I've got to really figure out how to make this work. I'm guessing those were the moments where you came up with the idea to partner with your drilling partner to to you know make the offer to the assay lab, which again has saved you guys a huge amount of time this year. Because for folks that don't know, the labs are backed up by what six to eight weeks right now yeah the worst i've heard was almost four months um but yeah the average is the average is six to eight weeks and people are paying you know um a fair penny for it as well i think it was funny because we we went to this lab and i've known the guys for years they're a great group and um you know not only i said you know i want priority service and i'd like a five percent discount to what i'm paying right now and you know and they were they were like well shit compared to taking out a, a loan for cash flow this is the best, you know, so it worked out really well for both groups, right? Like they got the cash flow Mm -hmm. they needed because they were expanding like crazy. Their lab was way, you know, they were having trouble meeting deadlines because they didn't, couldn't hire enough people. So it worked out, we kind of timed it perfectly. And, you know, it, um, yeah, I think it, it was kind of, you're right. Like we were kind of in a point, I didn't think, I initially did not think like, oh, I'm obviously going to go give these guys money and stuff. I was just freaking out because I knew that I had a newly public company with no penny news flow because I had, you know, the drilling took longer than we anticipated. And I was like, oh man, if we don't get results till, you know, the first set of results till January, my stock's going to go to 10 cents. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then all these great people who've invested in us are going to be heading for the hills. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so out of necessity, it kind of was like, okay, well, what can we do to entice these guys to put up the list? And it worked out really well. I was going to spend the money anyways, you know, like it was, it was yeah. regardless. I just, and loaded it a bit now and on the on the drilling side you guys uh, again for folks that maybe are are not familiar with your company you are drilling really deep yes right i mean i mean that's something that's also very different about what you're doing from from maybe others that that they're looking at yeah no and are you like new technology to do that or how are you how are you setting yourself apart on that side it's not as much new technology. I mean, the ability to drill deep RC holes, because that's our contracts with an RC contractor mm-hmm. instead of core. Um, it's been there for a while. I think the thing was, is, um, you know, it's really actually, Nevada is a really weird state in that there's a whole lot of dogma. In many know, ways. Yeah, in many ways, in many ways. But, you know, there's a lot of, you You walk into a room. Geologically speaking, yeah. And you walk in and it's like, okay, you'll talk to guys and they'll be like, well, 
that's the wrong rock, you know, kind of thing. You know, no one, you know, everyone knows there's no gold there. And it's like, well, it's a dirty limestone. Who cares if it's not Devonian age? It's Triassic. It's a dirty iron rich limestone. It's a beautiful host. And that's what happened to Coke. Mm -hmm. We found it was an existing 3 million ounce mine. We found another mm -hmm. million ounces and Newmont came over and visited and they said, it's the wrong rocks. And I said, there's been 5 million, there's 3 million of production, 2 million of reserves now, resource. How in the world is it the wrong rocks? Right. It's Triassic and we all know Triassic isn't a good host. And it's like, so that's, you know, and so that really kind of opened my eyes. It's like, well, geez, like look at all these old projects at Newmont and Barrick have had everyone has been saying yeah. are the wrong rocks same guys have been running Even exploration teams for years right right have been walking away from it so we saw it as not, like i think the, future, the big discoveries in nevada are only going to come from deep deep targets you're not going to see any more 10 million ounce open pits i strongly yeah. believe that you know um I, i'd love to be proved wrong hopefully at one of my projects but um i don't i don't, <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen um, and the evidence for that is look at barrack the only discoveries of any merit they've made in the last 15 years have come from stuff that is what we're drilling now. Like, um, you know, the gold strike or the uh, four mile discovery is over a thousand meters. They're drilling ore grade intercepts at 1500 meters down. That's not a big deal for a place like Red Lake or Timmins or lots of other spots in the world. But for Nat Nevada, that's pretty unheard of. And so we came in and we picked up these land positions that are sitting right beside world-class mine that were, yeah. were always viewed as too deep. And so what mm. the only real difference really is, is that drilling contract gave us the ability to go after what would be maybe, maybe we, you know, what would cost someone, you know, 225 grand to drill that hole. I can do it for 140, you know, 150. Mm. So um, that's really all it was. I mean, it was just purely just an economics thing. Like it didn't make sense to drill it for juniors and usually drill it. Juniors are typically the groups that are willing to take that kind of risk. So no one, could ever yeah. get, no one could ever get over that hump and drill these projects because they were just so risky. So I think the drilling contracts would kind of cracked it open for us. Well, that's where, again, that that innovation on the structure, right? And your openness to, to a different type of structure and partnership. It, I mean, innovation isn't always just on the technology side, right? No, I mean, sure. and for those who don't know, would you like to explain the difference between RC drilling and core drilling? Yeah. Maybe for folks for sure. who don't know what you meant by so that. So if you think of it like, um, you know, think of like an RC uh, drill is almost like a hammer, like a big hammer. And it's just hammering away at the rock. It literally fractures and shatters the rock. And the pressurized air that we pump down the hole forces those rock chips up to surface. So you get... Um, a pretty good idea of what you have for, you know, you know, you can identify the rock types, you know, if there's gold in it or not, what you don't get is, you know, good detail on structure, bedding, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they both have their positives core is an actual tuba rock. It's like reading, think of it like reading a book, every page, mm -hmm. if you look down, you know, this, sorry, I'm not talking, <laughs> talking, no, no, talking no, for the list, but um, it's important because we use these terms, right. And we kind of throw them around and like RC stands for, correct me if I'm wrong, because reverse circulation, reverse right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah really, stands really heavily used in like Australia as well. Yeah. I think where, you know, it's cheaper, it's faster cheaper. and cheaper, right? Yeah. Geos, yeah. I think one of the worst things is is when geos nerd out on a project too much, right? Like you <laughs> so many and they're like, why are you drilling RC? You know, core is the yeah. only way to go because that's the best possible data. And it's like, you're right. That is the best possible data. But I can drill nine. But we yeah, I can drill, possible. yeah, I can drill nine <laughs> holes for the same price as four, you know, with RC. Right which increases our, you know, it's just a tool in the toolbox, right? If I, if we make a discovery with RC, I will switch to core to delineate a resource right. because that is the best quality data. But, and then you've proven it to the point where it yeah. makes sense to invest more money yeah. in doing core. Every, yeah. every stage of an exploration project, right? From staking the ground 
to you know defining a resource is just a it's just a de-risking exercise right you know if you break it down to you know get all the the excitement and the you know a geo standing on the hillside with the wind blowing in his hair right thinking they're like indiana jones yeah. at the end of the day you should be treating it like a business and you should be mm-hmm. just trying to hit those hurdle rates so that's what the bringing in the rc contract was is it allows us to hit that hurdle rate quicker which reduces dilution it means that our shareholders get more news it means that we're able to you know it it it, it may seem like a small thing but it fundamentally changes the company structure and how we how we hopefully grow right because if we can make a discovery early with we just did at selena maybe we can raise money at 10 cents higher valuation or 20 cents higher that's gonna well, i've heard from i can't remember who it was that gave in this advice but they said you know in business of all kinds it's more important what you say no to than what you say yes to yeah right because if you're choosing the wrong stuff you can spend a lot of time and a lot of money saying yes to something that's not worth it and frankly, like it's the same for drilling. If you could find out faster that there's no gold in that hole, (laughs) then you can take the rest of that money and put it towards a hole that does have gold in it or might have. Absolutely. And we we own 123 square kilometers in Nevada, right? So like those are four projects. That's a huge swath of ground in Nevada. It's not big for Canada or other next to the wood, you know, other areas, but in Nevada, that is for a junior, that's a very large land position. So we need to fail fast. You know, like we can't screw around you know, spent, you know, just continually to, to chuck money into a project. If it's not showing merit and, and hitting those hurdles of what we need to see to take it, to, you know, to get it to that drilling phase, which is the most expensive, then, you mm-hmm. know, we're wasting everybody's time and money, right? So I may be out of a job in two years because I've burned through everybody's money, but I don't think we will. But the point is, I just don't want to be a lifestyle company. That's the big thing, right? Is there's too many of them. Uh, yeah. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of really good companies doing good work out there, you know, so, um, and uh, we're just hopefully one of them, but um, we really want to just show shareholders that we will show a return on their investment at a reasonable time frame, right? But. Well, I, for one, am really excited to continue following you guys and seeing what you're up to, because I think it's really neat what you're doing. And I'm excited to see what comes out of your drilling results and all the work your team's doing. And I think it's going to be really great for Nevada, frankly, as weird as Nevada be in many ways um you know so you guys are doing great work and this just the fact that you've gotten to where you are today with the craziness of 2020 is a is a cheers moment so (laughs) cheers to keeping the life and still you know pulling it out through the through this crazy crazy year well i hope so i appreciate it we're uh hopefully i'll be able to come back on and we can have some uh more bourbon again this is the funnest podcast i do usually i gotta have you know put my game face on and all this kind of stuff. We're the bleep it out podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> all right. Well, Chad, thanks so much for joining us on the rocks. And we look forward to having you back on sometime soon. Cheers, Emily. Thanks a lot. Thank you to our guest and my friend, Chad Peters, for joining us on this episode of On the Rocks. To learn more about Chad and Ridgeline Minerals, visit RidgelineMinerals.com and check them out on LinkedIn at Ridgeline Minerals and on Twitter at RidgelineNV. For more about Prospector, go to ProspectorPortal.com or check us out on Instagram at ProspectorAI and LinkedIn at ProspectorPortal. Thanks for joining us on the rocks. Until next time, keep your glasses full and your ice cold. Cheers! Cheers!